thank you so much, uh, Carol, for leading us with your usual creativity and flair, and also love and compassion. And uh, it was lovely to be encouraged to, um, to pray and to reflect and to wait. I think it's generally accepted that COVID has not done us any good in terms of our ability to relate well with other people. We have become, most of us, I think it's fair to say, more insular, more self-contained, and sadly, particularly in some cases, more lonely. Our neighbours have got further away, not literally, but emotionally. The moats around our homes and around our hearts have become deeper and harder to cross. We've been greatly helped by virtual communication, Zoom when it works, WhatsApp, etc. But we have also, to some extent, lost the art of conversation, of hospitality, of just being with people. And for the rest of this term, we are going to be thinking and learning, I hope, about relationships. We will tackle some challenging issues, including singleness and sexuality, families and friendships. This series is for everyone, whatever your age, whatever your relationship status, wherever you are on your journey of faith. As usual, I hope that week by week, the disturbed will be comforted and the comfortable might be disturbed. It will not just be a series of moral or ethical rules and guidelines. That's not what the gospel is about. In fact, the great 20th century theologian Karl Barth once quipped that morality was invented by the devil. He was being provocative. But the point he was making was that back in the Garden of Eden, before they disobeyed God, Adam and Eve, they not only didn't have rules and regulations, they didn't have the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't have morals as such. What they had was relationship with God and with each other. And that's what Satan wanted to disrupt. And the result of their disobedience, a disobedience with which we can all identify, is that we now know a lot about good and evil. We have a whole necessary framework of laws and conventions to encourage us to behave ethically and to stop us tearing one another to bits. But we don't know God as we should, and we don't know one another as we should. At its heart, sin is self-centeredness, a turning in on ourselves. But in Genesis 2, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. So all those laws and conventions are good and necessary, but they're very much second best to healthy relationships. But God has not given up on us, praise him. His greatest desire for us is that we might be restored to relationship with him. So strong is this desire that he sent his one and only son to die for us, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but be restored to abundant life in relationship with God. And as we are put right with God in our relationship, so we learn, begin to learn to relate 
to one another. In our services here each week, we always start with worship. We orientate ourselves firstly towards God. And as we listen to God and his word and reflect on it, our response is always first and foremost a response to God. Whatever we say and think to make us more Christ-centered, more cross-shaped, more full of grace in our attitudes. So it's always good news, even if it's challenging news. Because God is always at the center of it. We always start with God, but we then turn to one another. We then turn to one another, and we then go out into the world, and we turn to our neighbors and friends. So this series is about human relationships, but at a more fundamental level, it's all about God and making sure that we're hearing him and relating to him. When we come to challenging issues, issues on which we might disagree amongst ourselves, issues on which we might have different life experiences, there are things we need to consider about how we approach them. And that's really what I want to focus on this morning. It's really going to be an introduction to some of the more specific topics we will uh, encounter in the coming weeks. How do we talk about challenging and perhaps painful topics in a way which honors God and honors one another? How do we ensure that we are hearing God and not ourselves? or just our own preconceptions? How do we avoid falling out? I'm going to suggest four principles this morning. Um, I don't often do this, but they all begin with the same letter. Hooray! So they're super easy to remember. And the first one, you won't be surprised, as we're talking about relationships, the first one is love. Love. Jesus says in John 13, as he prepared to leave his disciples to go to the cross, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. Jesus is talking to his disciples and emphasizing that love between Christians is a command but in the parable of the Good Samaritan, which John just read to us, Jesus emphasized that love is also to be shown to those that we might find less easy to identify with, to those outside our own communities, those who might seem different to us. Samaritans and Jews did not get on. That's the whole point of the parable. The Samaritan was the least likely person to have compassion on a Jew who'd fallen on hard lines. But in that parable, we are encouraged to expand our view of what love means. To be loving to those whom we might not feel we have much in common with. Whom we might not even like or approve of. Love, you see, is not about sentimentality. It's about commitment. It's about choice. It's about a decision to relate generously to people, whoever they are. And that parable reminds us that love is an active thing. It's a doing word. It's not just an emotion. 
And it's not even just an intention. It's an action. Of course, when we come in a few weeks to talk about romantic and sexual relationships, we will know that love can also involve feelings and emotions. Feeling and emotions which are sometimes so strong that they feel irresistible. But the love Jesus is talking about is not a product of hormones which ebb and flow. It is, in the famous words of 1 Corinthians 13, patient, kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love does not walk past on the other side of the road. Love finds the person that is different and alien to us and picks them up and puts them on our donkey and takes them to the inn and costs us money and time. Love means commitment. It means empathy. It means recognizing the different needs and expectations and experiences and hurts which we each have when it comes to relationship. It begins over coffee at the end of the service. When we make an effort to talk to people that we don't know, even when we're shy, even when our instinct is to rush straight out. That's where it begins. It begins in the breakout groups. I don't know if the Zoom guys can hear us. They might be having a, an extended breakout group this morning. Friends, as we embark on this journey of exploration, let us resolve to do so in love for each other and for those beyond our walls. And if you're new to this church, praise God, if you're new here or if you're new to faith, or if you're not even sure that you, you believe anything very much, that's absolutely fine. And I hope that this kind of love will be something you find among us. And something you want to respond to. Something you find to be stronger and more beautiful than the other things which can often go by the name of love, but which can so often let us down. Love. Shall we just pause there and in the quietness of your heart think actually, where am I being challenged? Where am I being encouraged? As I hear that word, love. My second L, L is for love, L is for listening. Listening's not as easy as it sounds. Most people think they're good listeners, but listening's harder. It requires some energy and intention. Listening to God is not easy. Probably most of us have worked that out. Sometimes God bursts in and makes his will clear in some dramatic or miraculous way, but he doesn't do so as often, perhaps, as we might choose. 
More often, the Holy Spirit seems to speak to us quietly as we spend time in God's presence, as we worship, as we pray, as we serve, as we push doors, as we talk to other people. But down the centuries, Christians have testified that the main way, the most reliable way in which God speaks to his people is through his word, is through the Bible. The Bible itself claims to have authority to speak to us and to guide us. In 2 Timothy, we read, All scripture is God-breathed. God has breathed this out to us through the, through the lips, through the, the pens of his people over the centuries it was written. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Now, there are different attitudes we can adopt when we come to the Bible. We can be intimidated by it. I know it can be an intimidating book. It's a long book. It was written over 2,000 years ago. It was written in different languages and different cultures to what we're used to. So perhaps some of us coming, come to it suspecting that we're not really going to understand it or, in, or be able to engage with it. Perhaps it's something that's, that's best left to the experts. But no, although we need experts to help us, as, as Baptists we stand in a long tradition along with other Protestants who believe that the Bible can be understood and does speak to ordinary people. We don't need people to, to help us engage with it. Well, we, we, we do need people to help us engage with it, but we don't need to rely on them completely. It is able to speak to us directly as we read it ourselves or listen to it. Even if, we, we don't, if, we, if our reading isn't very good, um, we can hear it and it speaks because it is God-breathed. And when we listen to it with faith, open to the Holy Spirit, we can expect that God will speak to us through it. It is, as Hebrews 4 says, alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So don't be intimidated by the Bible. Come to it openly and expectantly. But the second danger, if we're not intimidated by it, is we do the opposite thing. We domesticate it. The Bible is a roaring lion, but we can prefer it to be a tame pussycat. We can come to the Bible having already decided what it says, only ready to hear confirmation of our own thoughts or the opinions we adopted long ago, seeking validation for our own beliefs and lifestyles. We can gloss over or ignore the inconvenient bits. We can think we're looking down a well of deep truth when really all we're doing is looking at our own reflection in the water below. Are we willing, when we come to God's word, for it to change us, for it to change our minds, for it to change our lives? So we can be intimidated by it, we can domesticate it, but thirdly, and this is the good one, we can submit to it. We can submit to its teaching as we ourselves open, are open to the Holy Spirit. We can set aside time and energy to listen to God's word. We can talk to one another about it. 
Here's a challenge for you. After the service, over coffee, once you've asked somebody you don't know yet how they are and where they come from, tell them something that you've learnt from God's word recently. Is that too much to ask? No, if you're a visitor here, you don't have to do this, by the way. You just you, you wait. You wait for the people who've been here 10 years or more to, to bubble over with what God's been saying. Does that sound ludicrous? It shouldn't do, should it? This should be our experience. So those of you who are guests, just wait with expectancy and see what we can tell each other about what God is saying to us through his word. We can talk to one another about what God's word says, trusting that others who love Jesus might have insights to bring us. Another thing we strongly believe as Baptists is we discern God's will together as a community, as a church. But those other people, they might be here within our own church, but they might be people of different backgrounds or generations down the ages. They might include Christians around the world and down the centuries who've suffered persecution, who've written books, who've devoted their lives to prayer and have got something to tell us. Are we actually listening? So, we need to love, we need to listen. Now... My third L is for LGBT. Later in this series, we will be looking specifically at sexuality. And I'm I'm not a great fan of these acronyms. Uh, You're probably familiar with them. Um, They are what is commonly used out there in the world. Indeed, you can can extend that further. Um, And a lot of Christians actually prefer not to use this terminology. They prefer terminology like same-sex attraction. Um, But uh, we are going to talk about um, lesbian, gay, and bisexuality. We're not so much going to talk about transsexual, which is what the T stands for, because that's more an issue of identity, I think, than sexuality. Uh, And I I want to emphasize that same-sex relationships are not the primary focus, certainly not the only focus of this series. But I do recognize that for some people they are a big issue, and an issue on which the church has tended to either speak um, with a lack of compassion or with a lack of clarity. And they are certainly, I I think it's fair to say, the most obvious area where the traditional teaching of the Christian church is at odds with the prevailing view in our society. We cannot hide from the fact that in our world there is no longer any debate about the validity of same-sex relationships. There is an ongoing debate about transgenderism and to what extent people should be allowed or encouraged to choose a gender identity which differs from their genetic gender. But there's no such ongoing debate in the world at large about sexuality and whether people of the same sex should be permitted to marry, for example, except in a few small communities such as churches like ours. So what we believe on this issue has significant implications, not only for how we support and care for those within the church who experience same-sex attraction, but also for how we reach people beyond the church, whatever their sexuality, with the good news about Jesus, to ensure that we are truthful about what God says to us, but also that we don't immediately create a barrier that some people are going to be, feel unable to cross. We're going to come to all this later. But the reason I want to be upfront about it today is that I want, I want us all to resolve that this is going to be a safe place to talk about these things. 
however uncomfortable some of us might feel about it. And I particularly want to ask you if you are affected by the issue, directly or indirectly. For yourself, a close family member or a, a close friend, I would love it if you felt able to come and talk to me over the next few weeks before I address this further from this platform. I'd love to hear about your story, about your struggles. I would love it if you felt able to talk to me in, in confidence about that. And maybe to talk to others here that you trust. And I hope, as I say, it will be a place where we don't feel that we can't talk about these things, however challenging they might be. And my fourth L, finally, is for life. L is for life. Jesus came to bring life, life to the full, eternal life. There may be challenges ahead of us in this series, but there is also joy. Because when we respond to God in faith, we can expect to experience his blessing. Not always necessary immediately, not always necessarily the blessing in the way we would like it to be expressed. But I, I often come back to that old hymn or chorus that I learned as a child, which includes these words. For we never can prove the delights of God's love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. True? Don't sing that much nowadays, but those words are profound, I think. But you might be sitting here feeling worried that this series is going to dredge up all kinds of stuff which you've been trying quite hard to keep buried. Perhaps you are aware of failings in relationships in your own life. Perhaps you carry a burden of guilt or shame. Perhaps you feel the loss of hopes and dreams. Perhaps you feel angry. If so, my prayer is that today and through this series you may encounter not bad news, but supremely good news. The good news of life in Jesus' name. Life that is to begin now and continue into eternity. Life about a relationship that starts now and is going to be consummated when Jesus comes again and is going to last forever, in which we will dwell in God's presence and there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain ever. For God will be with us and we will be with God forever. This is such good news. Good news in a world that is, is obsessed and oppressed by its false images of what good relationships mean. That has made idols of things that cannot bear the weight that is being placed on them. And when those idols eventually collapse, lead people with wrecked lives, wrecked mental health, wrecked relationships. The good news is that Jesus loves you and gave his life for you. The good news is that our God is a God of fresh starts. The good news is that God's Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. This is good news of God's grace, amazing grace, which saved a wretch like me and can save a wretch like you. What a sweet sound. The good news which is not good, just good news for us, but good news for people everywhere. For the lonely, for the sceptical, for the gay, 
for the single parent, for the abused spouse, for the vulnerable adolescent. May we go from this place today and in the coming weeks, not trumpeting our own successes or shouting our own convictions, but sharing the good news of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who for our sakes became poor so that we by his poverty might become rich. May we be salt and light, not losing our saltiness, not hiding our light under a basket, but being distinctive, sharing truth, radiating love. We have good news to tell. And if you're here for the first time, or if you've only recently started coming, please do engage with us. Please do tell us how you feel about all this as you get to know us. Please share your experiences. But above all, please be open to the fact that the thing God wants more for you more than anything else, the one thing God wants for you more than anything else is relationship, is that you might dwell with God forever. Isn't that an extraordinary thing? Isn't that, isn't that good news? The thing God most wants for you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you feel like about yourself, whatever your life experiences, the thing God most wants for you is that you might dwell in his presence for eternity. And he welcomes you in. He welcomes you in as you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you to make a way for all of us to come to God and experience salvation and reconciliation and renewal. Lord God, we thank you that we have good news to share. We pray that this series, which may be challenging, which may be disturbing, which may be awkward at times, may somehow, by your grace and through the work of your Holy Spirit, draw every one of us closer to you and closer to one another. Give us soft hearts, we pray. Give us soft hearts to your word, that we might hear what you have to say to us, and that we might be willing to change and become more like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.